Um, who who sent the link about the Doctor Who magazine? By the way, that Dave. was me. I'm very disappointed at the price of it. Very, I, I'm not <laughs> sure this isn't some urban myth. Are you sure it was withdrawn? <laughs> that seems a very piss poor price for something like that. Like, was it withdrawn after a year of circulation or something? I mean, you wouldn't even pick up a brand new Doctor Who magazine for a fiver, would you? No. <laughs> I've just found another copy for one pound sixty-nine. Oh Jesus! That's heavily soiled, though that one. Yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there, soiled. Oh, yeah. uh, hey. I had a leaf through it, but uh, I never bought the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Can you see what I've done? <laughs> Let's get the solid gold going, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you should be recording. This is brilliant. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that asks, where the hell was Monty Don when the crew of the Hyperion needed him? It's the Police Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. I'm Dave. And I'm Cameron. And welcome back to our penultimate instalment of the Trial of a Trial of a Time Lord series. Uh, we're doing Terror of the Vervoids tonight. Aye, we are indeed. We are indeed. Looking forward yep. to this one. And yeah. although it's the third episode, we are going to do our final all together episode are we not that's true so we are going to do there might be another two yeah there is the result yeah. special but you know it might just be a free for all <laughs> all right then the penultimate penultimate episode of the trial of the trial yeah. of the kind of the halfway through Fucking maybe-ish <laughs> of course I'm happy I'm the prosecution <laughs> <laughs> okay let's before the bickering descends even further shall we get on with it yeah as usual we have two guests ready to join us to defend or prosecute this story so Newcastle has produced many famous children of the city. Neil Tennant, Tim Healy, that bloke that got a tattoo of Andy Cole on his thigh the day before he was sold to Manchester United. <laughs> Spuggy from Biker Roof, <laughs> hoping to add his name to that pantheon with a rigorous defence of Terror of the Vervoids from Cameron's other podcast family, it's Al Milburn. Hello, I'm looking forward to this. I'm hoping it should be good. Should, as I've heard, is the operative word. <laughs> it should be good. Uh, I'm sure Al's too polite to tell you, by the way, Lee, but Andy Carroll got sold to Liverpool, not Man United. Andy yeah. Cole. Andy yeah, Cole, all right. I thought you said Andy Carroll. I thought that I'd say, so I, I did pick up on that, yes. Oh, he's gone old school. <sighs> but we're going to have to go all the way back to the start and do this again now. <laughs> <laughs> And joining Dave on the prosecution this week is one of the hosts of a podcast whose Colony in Space episode was even longer than ours. Call Norris McQuarter from the Crednine podcast. Is <laughs> Hello. Hello. Yes, we like, we like to beat records wherever we can and, uh, and beat whatever we can. We Not a euphemism. Not a euphemism. Not at all, Mrs. On the subject of Spuggy, uh, can I just say I had a friend of mine uh, from Sunderland who reckoned he shagged Spuggy. <laughs> you see, after, I was sitting, after she was in Biker Grave, you know, when it was all legal and it was, 
I was sitting here thinking, I remember thinking she was quite hot at the time when I was about the same age. <laughs> I, I always preferred. Could have been you. It could have been you. First digression of the night, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So, did your mate from Sunderland actually uh, do the dirty with Spuggy from Biker Grove? Well, he's not the most uh, credible person, but that's what he claimed, and he had the right accent, so, you know, I believe him. <laughs> that's all you need in a court of law, really, the right accent. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be that way, doesn't it? He didn't have any photographs, if that's what you're asking, or, or DNA, or... <laughs> but he did, he wasn't going to hand it over. The police or, or ginger hairs was... on his teeth. Yeah, no, nothing like that, no. <laughs> Right. Uh, Al will be joining Cameron on the defence of Terror of the Vervoids. Oh, yes. On the prosecution. So, shall we get it all started? Yep, we probably better, otherwise we're just hanging around here talking about who shagged who in Biker Grove, which... <laughs> you see, I've got a Jeff man that's in my eyes joke. <laughs> I can't quite make it work. <laughs> Needs workshopping. And that's why the group is shut down. <laughs> okay, right, then. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. So let's return once again to 1986, the rock and roll years. The Valkyrie's <laughs> looking to plant some evidence. It's time to put Terror of the Vervoids on trial. I've never seen this side of you before. You're usually the one who goes charging in regardless. Can't you sense it now? Sense what? There's evil in this place. If he succeeds in eliminating us, Vervoids will cease to exist. Forget your previous orders. Brookman's death is now our priority. He cannot be permitted to prevent us from reaching planet Earth. Why is only low-spectrum light allowed in the place? Something to do with photosynthesis. Low-spectrum light allows the plants to stay dormant. Now I'll go first. We don't want you breaking your neck. At least not until... So, Terror of the Vervoids was parts 9 to 12 of series 23 of Doctor Who. It was written by Pip and Jane Baker, directed by Chris Clough and produced by John Nathan Turner. Starred Colin Baker as the Doctor, Bonnie Langford as Mel, Linda Bellingham as the Bistol Lady Stroke Inquisitor, <laughs> and Michael Jaston as the Valyard. Uh, also starred Honor Blackman as Professor Lasky, Malcolm Tierney as Doland, David Alistair as Bruchner, and Michael Craig as Commodore Travers. It was broadcast between Saturday the 1st of November and Saturday the 22nd of November 1986. And the viewing figures were 5.2 million for part one, 4.6 for part two, 5.3 million for part three, and 5.2 million viewers for part four. Right then, uh, Defence is going first this time round, I believe. Uh, yeah, we can do. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. I like that, I see that, that the cordial exchange across the courtroom. <laughs> <I wish. laughs> Good luck with the prosecution. 
Um, <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I would look at, you know, on this camera, a small glint in his eye. And a, and a smirk. <laughs> yes, I noticed that devilish smirk. Why, you wry old devil, you. Um, right yeah, there. That sounds immediately like you don't actually have any evidence. You're just going for personal attacks. <laughs> but that's fine. Ad hominem! <laughs> it's a compliment. God, good God. Anyway. John right. Adam, would you like to kick us off? I will kick us off in, in, in a wonderful way. Uh, right, Terror of the Vervoids. Point number one for the defence. Uh, there is a delightful mystery beating under all of this with genuine twists and turns. Yes, who has done Agatha Christie in space before, but never quite with this much layering, in the fact that you're never quite sure who done it until the very end. You also don't really care who done it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I, think, I think this was the... I don't know if I went into this with very low expectations, um, because I've read a lot, but I was fairly impressed with it. I, I did not hate it at all, and I would certainly not say it's the worst episode in this series. Well, I don't know anyone else cares that opinion, series. but it's certainly not the worst, in my opinion. I uh, I quite enjoyed it, actually. I was sitting there. I watched it with my friend because I was too frightened to watch it alone. So um, <laughs> we sat there, sat there and watched it together, and both of us went, oh, my God, that wasn't shite. We're very surprised. But, no, I thought it was... Uh, Sorry, am I, am I doing a good job at defending this? You're doing a great job, I'll carry <laughs> no, on. That's fine, that's fine. Just, just, just Keep going. When in doubt, bludgeon. I, um, but no, I, I thought, I, I like the Agatha Christie sort of uh, plot to it. It was it was good because they give you lots of twists and turns and lots of false promises and things. And even from the, the get-go, when that guy recognised the other guy, I don't, I don't remember his names, and uh, it turned out to be somebody else. You know, I, I think I'm doing very well descriptively. I'll have one more corona. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very good. Help me out with the names, Cameron, because I can't remember anyone. Um, <laughs> what are you... <laughs> they don't matter, really, the names. Come on, Cameron, think. come on. Yeah, the whole cast list. You're the defence. You <laughs> should know this. Right, it was a Character guy and start. actor. It was, a, it was a guy at the start who wasn't supposed to be recognised. The guy at the start with the... Ah, I forgot his name now. Galloway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was he was in the background as well with his yeah, keep, keeping a low profile. <laughs> in space with international law cannot find him. Um, uh, and, the, Bob, and the BBC Bob, don't care. <laughs> oh, like the BBC cared anyway. Um no, I think my, my learned colleague is indeed uh, correct. You see, he's gone into this uh, what we have to explain about um, uh, my learned colleagues, uh, Mr. Milburn's um, attitude to Doctor Who, is that he's not steeped in any of the baggage that many of us uh, long-term fans may have. Um, Mr. Milburn came into this story, you know, looking for some kind of televisual enjoyment, and by the sounds of it, I'm sure the court will agree, has indeed found such a thing in spades. Yeah, yeah, it was it was okay. I did, I enjoyed it. It was more than okay, wasn't it, Alan? It was the best Colin Baker episode of Doctor yes. Who I've ever watched. Yes, it was. It was indeed. <laughs> Up against some stiff opposition. <laughs> I think what he actually said was not the worst in this series. <laughs> Ringing defence there. Misquoted. Can, can the court also just check that this isn't the only Colin Baker episode you've ever watched? <laughs> I, I've watched this series. There we go. Yeah, there so it was the see. best one in this series. Although I did enjoy the fourth episode, possibly more. But um, oh, no, no, this, this was okay. We could have you back on next week. I'll tell you how uh, good this was. You know how good this was? It was so good, I decided to continue on and watch the fourth disc. 
That's how good it was. Yeah, I had to find out how it all finished. Exactly. See? High praise indeed. High praise indeed. <laughs> I'm not, sure, I'm not yeah. sure this ever happened before. <laughs> <laughs> to bring us back to uh, our point in, entirely that uh, my learned colleague, Mr. Milburn, has so uh, gloriously put forward to the court there, <laughs> that uh, th- this is a mystery in space. And it's a very, very good one. And it contains uh, many, many characters in a classic whodunit style. And it gives a, the Doctor a chance to be to be a, something of a detective, which I don't think they often gave at least Colin Baker a chance to do before this. Shall we give the prosecution a chance to respond to your initial point, though? About, yeah, let's uh, go. Let's go. Prosecution. Well, I think I think that largely the counterpoint to that is the first point for the prosecution. This should have been called 15 minutes of our voids at the end after an hour of people being shitty to each other, because that's basically what it is. As people stabbing each other in the back, telling each other not to grass each other up for their evil misdeeds. The Doctor not caring about anything and just wanting to leave. And Bonnie Langford screaming at things. And that's it until the last 15 minutes. And then the Varvoids come out and get destroyed because they're trying to survive. And they might be a danger one day. Free hugger. Yeah, that's it. Oh, let's turn them all in and it just leaves. Because fuck them, that's why. <laughs> and that's oh, basically but, but, how it ends. Yeah, to me that argument can apply to just about anything else, like like Jaws. You you watch you watch the whole film with like the invisible shark killing people. The shark turns up at the end and dies. That's that's the whole of Jaws summed up. But it's a renowned film, isn't it? It's a it's a, a pretty um, high high film in anyone's book. The Terminator, but, same thing. The real Terminator doesn't turn up for fifty minutes at the end when Arnie gets set on fire and he dies as well. Again, very renowned film. There you go. Yeah, we'll yeah, colleague we'll see Jaws killing somebody or Jaws attacks in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> well, well, I think it proves it's a cliche. That's what it proves. As, as I don't want to go into a point later on, but the uh, the body count is pretty high in this episode. You're right. It does get really quite grim and dark and gruesome and unrelentingly just piles of bodies towards the end. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Personally, I think it's a bit I of a bad the, thing for what's meant to be a children's show. compost pile of bodies. <laughs> Yeah, the defence will get into the uh, body count uh, point somewhat later in uh, in this recording. Okay. Prosecution, do you wish to add anything more to uh, the defence's first case brought forward? Well, me, um, yeah. Um, if you wish, there's a there's a there's a mystery going on here. Certainly, um, I don't know if it's that easy to follow. Um, I may be below average intellect, but I thought it several times for what exactly was going on. Um, so layering is good, as long as you're not layering too much, I would say. Yeah, that, that, a bit double-crossy, almost who's on which side, who's trying to rob who, who's trying to take over what and why. Mm. And it is quite dense in places. The prosecution have just listed the million and one questions and permeabilities about this entire story, thus revealing its depth. Well, wells are deep. I wouldn't want to watch one for an hour and a half. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe preferably to the series. But anyway, sorry, sorry, I'm not meant to say that, am I? I'm <laughs> no, no, no. I must make the court aware that occasionally my learned colleague has outbursts. <laughs> you could probably get some kind of plug to sorry, stop I, that. I, I love to watch the Well Channel on Sky. It's one of my favourites, you know. <laughs> Medieval Wells, it's fantastic. I, I have watched 24 7 coverage. <laughs> Yeah, medieval, that, that was that film, wasn't it? Um, medieval Wells of Our Time, which was directed by Orson. <laughs> yes, yes, very good, yes. 
you know what? On the strength of that joke alone, I'm tempted to hand this to the prosecution. <laughs> <laughs> do, do not let's say the same standards dropped to that level, Mr. Phillips. This is this okay, recent. thanks. Sorry, sorry. This is your sorry. first warning. <laughs> you will only got several dozen more. Right. <laughs> per episode. Okay, shall we go to the first point for the prosecution in that case? Who would like to go first on this? Well, I did use some of my first point counteracting his first point but that's fine i'll go with one that i know that jim agrees with me on and it's the music in this <laughs> the music in this episode is so lazy uh, there was scenes i was watching where it felt like i was playing prince of persia as a 10 year old again it was well, just plinky gonna, plonky gonna, i don't think i'm covering this at all but i did not pick up on the music at all which probably reinforced their point i do not even recall any note of music from this episode whatsoever apart from the theme song so maybe that that maybe help their point out i think i'm being very good at this so far right you're doing you're doing wonderfully <laughs> if you weren't humming it the next day then it didn't work yeah yeah oh, but i'm up in the crew on it keep going boys so it was game music you've got was... questions here about the score Oh, you're going to well, start being all posh and growing up on you about the score. No, I'm talking about the music, Cameron, not the score. Well, Incidental I, I, music. I should point out that music has long been thought of as an integral part of Doctor Who and it, a vital part of Doctor Who. So discussing the music and the score is a valid line to go down. I would say so. And, and I think in this case it was not up to par, really. The uh, gym music should be destroyed by fire. That's <laughs> the worst sequence of music I've heard on anything ever in my life. Is this the music that Bonnie Langford's exercising to in the gym? Yes, that's the one. Because I noticed that, I, re I recognised that from somewhere. That's the same music from the Macna Terror, the marching band. <laughs> God, is it? They could be Weirdly meta. <laughs> they could be able to compose an entirely original bad piece of music. So at least not back from the 60s. Is it not, though, that that's... Um... It's something of what we would call these days an Easter egg, but in the nineteen eighty six, in nineteen eighty six, it was obviously not known as such a thing. It was just a dog's milk. It was a rotten egg. No, I'd say if it was, if that was the case, and if it was from the Macrotel, then it's a nice little callback to uh, to older Who in an, in an era which uh, you know is a possibility of Who being at the end of its life. Um, you know, it's it's revisiting its history in even just small ways like this. A tiny percentage of people watching would have seen the Macro Terror when it when it was broadcast. I mean, did the, had the soundtrack been out by then? Don't know. Yeah, uh, not. I wouldn't have thought so. No, I wouldn't have been commercially released at that point anyway. Mm. Also, it seems very lazy to reuse music to that extent because yes, it's an Easter egg, but it's like they couldn't be bothered in that case. We need some music for this scene. Well, it's going to be painful to watch anyway. Let's just use old music. But well, you... well, maybe they were thinking viewers' eyes are already bleeding. Let's just make their ears bleed. As well, no? <laughs> I'd like to thank the defence for that point. <laughs> Doing a cracking job, Al. A cracking you job. keep, you keep defending, that. Alan. We love... <laughs> how many? How many coronas is? Uh... I'm, I'm only third so far. Third well. corona. Right. Okay. We're usually in trouble we're about the fourth. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, well, as you, you, Dave, will say that this is, um, you know, they couldn't be bothered. I would still maintain that it's a, it's a well thought out callback to a previous era of Who. So it's that, so incredibly that, that, previous. That, like, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're gonna get people who've watched this all the way through. You know, your hardcore yes. fans, of which were many, 
who even made record um, about, you know, of, of music, about trying to save the show, would have been, you know, invested in this and would have, you know, known that. May I just stop the defence there that referring to Doctor in Distress as music does not stand up oh, to see, any I, scrutiny whatsoever. I, I apologise, my lud. I, I, I wish it to be noted that I had omitted to use the word hit record. <laughs> <laughs> I've, decided, I've decided to adapt pause. the plan. The plan for the charity single for Christmas number one. It'll be Doctor in Distress for the NHS to raise funds for them but we'll get John Barman to sing it and he'll be in a dress. That's got winner written all over it. It's Michael winner. <laughs> oh, please, no. It's a doctor in distress. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just in case you thought it wasn't possible for the original Doctor in Distress to be eclipsed in terms of bad taste and poor quality, <laughs> I think we just found the answer to that tonight. <laughs> Everything is possible. Bonnie Langford dancing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> to the, to the tune Holding up a cardboard cart of Honor Blackman. <laughs> <laughs> On the point of the music, it was composed by Malcolm Clark, who had done quite a lot of Doctor Who scores in the past. So you could be forgiven for a little bit of familiarity, familiarity creeping in and sort of themes and motifs that he's used in previous scores being used again. Yeah, and there's not a problem with motifs being used again and scores being used again. I think it's just the actual way this music is sounds very generic lazy and cheap it sounds like 8-bit music it's not like the orchestral scores you get now or even the older scores you get from the proper workshop this sounds like somebody sitting with a casio keyboard yeah. going yeah that'll do yeah, but like, nobody's watching like it anyway nintendo sold millions of units and they use 8-bit music yes 8-bit vinyl goes for quite a lot on ebay these days <laughs> also if you're talking about people just sat there with casios times that by four and you've got craft work <laughs> <laughs> yep, this is there is just like craft work the music in this. I mean, it's obviously not, but yeah, yeah. I'll no, pretend you've made a good point. Before the prosecution gives Malcolm Park too much of a kicking for using presets on a Casio keyboard, might I remind the prosecution that next year, Keith McCulloch? <laughs> just saying, just well, saying. sobering thought, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so, that's we are always only discussing this story. Fair enough. Fair That's enough. all we're discussing. We're not discussing atrocities to come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Has anybody else got anything to add about the music then? No, I've, I've put everything forward. That There's nothing wrong with 8-bit music. Uh, it's quite available uh, these days. And um, I, I quite enjoyed the music in this. It serves its purpose very, very well. As uh, as as we've said already, that the music is an integral part in Doctor Who, and this stands up quite well. Fair enough. Uh, prosecution, anything to add? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Shorts and to the points. <laughs> oh come on! Don't speak on a camera like that. Up. I'm just, just going to gain say everybody. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the entire prosecution case from Devon is going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> you're wrong you're wrong <laughs> and this will still be a two hour long episode <laughs> also known as the Ian Levine defence <laughs> talking well, of defence I defense, disagree so you're wrong <laughs> <laughs> talking of defence let's go back there Al your first point for the defence please talking about the creatures Al you're, okay uh... okay here we go well the, the creatures are, uh, are memorable yes possibly <laughs> for the wrong reasons but everybody remembers them and uh I think it's got to the point now where it's so old 
it's so cliched that they look like clitorises. Nobody cares anymore. But do you remember any other bad guys from Colin Baker's Doctor Who that well? They've become infamous, you see, infamous. Anyway, a couple of points I want to make is, A, why do you think they look like clitorises? You let pussy glow make them. So why why would they, why wouldn't they make like that? You know? That's a very good point. Oh God, the prosecution is destroyed. It's hard to argue with that point, really. And secondly, if if you were with a girl and you took her pants off and her clitoris looked like that, would you go? I think I'm going home. Sorry, love, it's me bus. I've got to catch me bus. So you know. It's green, for God's sake. Have you ever been with a girl with a green clitoris? I mean... Spuggy. <laughs> so, so I just think this has gone full circle now. It's so ridiculously bad, it's become good. Am I right in thinking this is the only appearance I've ever had in Doctor Who? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I know yeah, the yeah. infamous story... For some of, reason. Some magazine... Well, the genocide, for one. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's it's, the best it's, reason. It's... <laughs> It's the only episode of Doctor Who magazine that was withdrawn from the shelves in WH Smith's as they put Vervoids on the cover that month. Well, they have, they have Donald just, Trump on Let's the put it up two shelves, didn't it? <laughs> Covered in a bag. <laughs> just some guy in an old dirty Mac bringing it back to the shop later on. <laughs> I'm confused. Can I have my money <laughs> I looked at this, got all excited, opened up, and then I saw Bonnie Langford. It was sick in my mouth. <laughs> Never seen it go down so fast. <laughs> oh. I, I just the bad guys are so iconic now. It's it's you know it, it's so bad it's good. That, that that is my argument for this. Yeah, they legendarily have, they bad. Have, they have reached. They have gone round into orbit round the other side of the Earth and have come back again, and have gone from being you know terrible oh maligned monster oh god look at this terrible terrible design, and actually you know here we are. What, 34 years later, still talking about them? Yeah, but that's well, we not much stop. of a defence. We've chosen to talk about this. Yeah, It's not like it's a big part of mainstream culture. Well, everyone talks about the vervoids. But it is no. a part of Doctor Who culture, though, isn't it? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, the vervoids. From all these like science fiction names, you know, you're like going, oh, yeah, you remember that planet of the vid, vid, bing, de bongs? It's like, oh, no, we don't remember what they look like. Were they the guys with the suits and the monsters, but the big, you know, the Mac stuck over them and bin bags? And no, you know, vervoids, like, oh, yeah, vervoids, them ones. Yeah, the ones that are really badly designed and don't actually have anything to do in the entire story named after them till near the end when it turns out they're not actually bad guys anyway. Because what they're really trying to do is just survive. It's what every life form does. And because they're doing that, the Doctor kills all of them. Is that not the leading into the whole structure of the court case itself, though? That the Valyard is maybe trying to, you know, because the Matrix is messed up with the um, events, that it's the Valyard trying to prove that the Doctor is guilty of, like, you know, capable of being a genocidal maniac when he wants to be. But it doesn't actually matter what the Valyard is trying to prove. What matters is the Doctor chooses to wipe out an entire race just in case they become dangerous. Well, they've argument... killed about 50 people. They're pretty hard dangerous, yeah? There was about six of them that they killed. Well, okay, maybe, maybe. Well, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's some extras off camera. You know? There's no budget them. for any more. Yeah. <laughs> they shoved them down that garbage you shoot thing, you know? Like, you know but like... if, a, if a single leaf falls on Earth, then everyone will die. Well, then just don't let the ship go to Earth. Take them to another place that can be their home planet. 
one everyone not oh, we're to supposed go there. To just, we're supposed to just pick a random planet at a moment's notice that can just be overtaken by Vervois now, are we, Dave? Edric's planet. <laughs> That's uh, Perfect. <laughs> Time not, travel, so you do it before left. We're not quite sure how far away that is, though, from here. <laughs> not done the calculations. <laughs> worth the journey, though. Worth it's, the journey. It's, it's, worth the journey, yeah. Worth the journey. Even space. Space. No one yeah. said it was going to be easy. No yep. one said it would be easy. <laughs> Still could, the perfect place. You could keep them on that liner and tow it somewhere. Dump it on a planet, give them the planet. You don't like, actually have to wipe the, them out. The prosecution is essentially suggesting ringing the space version of the AA when everyone knows that they're busy with the Red Dwarf. Uh, <laughs> but but if you dump them on the planet, how how's the other the other people have to live with them then, wouldn't they? There's no other ship. So if you tow that to a planet, then... You find an uninhabited planet. But you take all the humans off the ship. Yeah. And you drag, you tow that ship to a well, planet. Well, and you go, probably a that? reason the planet's uninhabited. Because there nothing can live there, yeah? Not necessarily. Oh, all right. So you need a planet with perfect conditions for life, but is uninhabited. Is that what no, you said? Like, it doesn't okay. have to be perfect. They can walk around. They can move if they don't like a continent. They'll learn, they'll adapt. Well, the plants, they need to blossom, they need, I don't know, compost or something, you know, they need that sort of stuff. But they don't have that on this liner, they're just wandering around badly, well, looking like no, they're no, about no, to no. fall over. They're making, they're making their own compost here. <clears throat> they don't have to stand in compost every night to get up in the morning, I don't think. They'll be alright, they'll be fine, sunshine, water, bang That's all they need. But either way, there's no need to suddenly decide that you're going to wipe out an entire race, just because it saves time in the long run. Like, oh, it'll be a problem later, so I'll just kill them all now. But it gives the um, the Doctor a dilemma of a decision to make in the fact that is he saving humankind, the you know, the, the species he's been most closest to other than Time Lords throughout his entire life. Or, and, or, but by doing so, he eliminates an entire alien race, right, you know, down to zero. And that's the point that the courtroom scene makes afterwards is the fact that he's willing to make that decision and the try the value tries to get across the point that he's utterly dangerous for doing so. And so yeah, therefore he, sorry, he, he's like prosecuted straight away for it, isn't he? Yeah, 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 he is, yeah. Which would be fine if it seemed like it was a dilemma for him. But there's no sign of it being a dilemma. It obviously defiles Space Core Directive nine one three or something that he's he's wiped out an entire race. And thus it's a it's a crime apparently, according to the, the, the guy who's doing the prosecution thing? The Valyard. Yeah, yeah the Valyard. My, my learned colleague does know the name <clears throat> of the Valyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit it's a bit rich for the Time Lords to suddenly invoke Article 7, considering what happened in Genesis of the Daleks, where they actually asked them to commit genocide on their behalf. Yeah, well, I think it's like, uh, you know, you, you, you give a soldier a gun and suddenly he's not a murderer, he's a hero. Yeah, but nobody gives him a gun. He decides to pick up a gun and kill people. Not people, plants. Plants, yeah, exactly. Guns plants. don't kill plants, Time Lords do. <laughs> the defence would like to point out that this is the decision at the end of this story that that has massive consequences for the remainder of this series. Yeah, both episodes. Both episodes of <laughs> Ultimate Four. Which we'll get to, but we're not talking about Ultimate Four tonight, are we, Dave? We're talking about just Terror of the Vervoids. Yeah. We'll be talking about that next week or possibly in three days. I don't know anymore because we seem to always be recording. What is What is time... Timey wimey. Do you remember a day when you didn't have a microphone in front of your face? <laughs> I really don't, because all no. my college stuff is on Zoom as well. Oh my god. So I, I think I've got this headset on for like 15 hours a week at the minute. 
It's practically welded to his ears. Yeah, I am a Cyberman. Yep. <laughs> With slightly less emotion. <laughs> anything you want to add at this point? Prosecution, you want to pick all up on anything that is stated there? Well, uh, one of my uh, prosecution points is entirely about the verboids. Good time to bring you on to that one then, Jim. You got a time as any? Yep, let's go. Okay. All right. Well, design. They are both genders of genitals at once, uh, thus ensuring you um, please everybody and offend everybody at the same time. Uh, a bell end on top of a front bottom is, uh, is the kindest way to describe it. Uh, not necessarily the kind of thing if you're trying to attract a younger audience back to an ailing programme, I would have thought. Imagine how many parents looked at that and uh, said, Johnny, no more. No, but the dad, the dad continued to watch. Um. <laughs> he just felt very confused while he was doing it. <laughs> a, a bell end on top of a front bottom. The new album from Genesis. You go out the room, little Johnny. Daddy's here with his Kleenex. He'll, he'll make sure it's not scary for you. He'll um, be, uh, be up and down like a yo-yo watching this. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, the design questionable, to say the least. Um the design also is dry foam rubber, which is uh, just characterises almost every alien in this uh, uh, era of the show. And the leaves are a bit better. They look slightly shiny, but those spaces, um, I mean, have you seen inside some of the more kind of uh, exotic plants, which I guess this is based on when you get some kind of weird shit they use inside the leaves sometimes. They're all sort of glistening and sticky and uh, attracting flies and stuff. Get some KY on the faces of these uh, of these furboids. Make them look a bit more scary. Make them look a bit more realistic. And more alive as well. And am more I, alive. Yeah. Am I am I hearing it correctly that the prosecution are at one moment complaining about the fact they look like genitals, and then the other fact, that, and then five minutes later saying they need KY. Well, they it, look like dry genitals, and nobody likes dry <laughs> genitals. No, I've got that problem. It's terrible. Um. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you're a man of a certain age, Al. If you're going to go the genital route, and I use the word root with precision, <laughs> then make it as realistic as possible. Make it look like a spent one that's already... But they didn't have the budget. Thing. They didn't have the budget for KY Jelly. It wouldn't stretch that far. That was the You're problem. not saying JMT didn't have that in his back pocket when this has been filmed. <laughs> Come on. And, and I think the KY helps it stretch that far. <laughs> 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 on, to my, on to my third point on the verboids, the voices. There's a range of accents here. I mean, I'm no expert on the accents of plants, but uh, one of them seems to be a Geordie, I think. No offence, Al. I was going to say, you appear to be saying that word in a slightly disparaging manner. It's Geordie. Well, um... well I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what it was. The old slept was spuggy previously. <laughs> <laughs> that, you see, that's what it was. Oh, she gets around and she's blind. <laughs> anyway, um, so, yeah, not only have we got this, these range of accents, uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to have the same accent, aren't they? They're all plants from the same beans or where they come from. Uh, all of the acting is below Amdram level as well from the, uh, from the uh, verboids. Their movement, wild and erratic. Apparently, they're played, the uh, verboids were played by dancers. I can only assume they were out-of-work dancers, and this is the only gig they could get. Because... Well, they're in work now, because this show <laughs> saved them. Out-of-work dancers are bears. <laughs> now, I don't wish any dancers, no matter how crap, to be out of work, but do they have to be at primetime uh, telly? 
dressed yes. as plants that look like cocks and fannies. But and my final point, and I'm going to go on to dialogue later. But even the vervoids, who are plants, are still not immune from the curse of dialogue in this story. Uh, one of them says, "We are doing splendidly," which <laughs> is it's not the most terrifying thing I've heard a villain say. But it is quite an impressive vocabulary for a plant. <laughs> It's not bad, is it? A higher vocabulary than, than most plants, I would think. Uh, but they're space plants, of course. So. I I think this okay. uh, the prosecution have brought their prejudices against plant life into <laughs> the case today. I would like it noted on the record that they seem to be very disparaging and disbelieving that plants can give her their all. And if, if a plant has a dream, then that dream can be fulfilled. Um, by effort, sunshine, a little bit of water. Um, and, and they too can reach high skyward and uh, and obviously um, outlive the expectations that the prosecution seem to be laying upon them. Well, that's lovely and touching. I don't care about plants myself. I only eat what I kill. Yeah, and that's why you've got your transit van parked outside. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough to the house. <laughs> I don't want anyone seeing what I drag into the house. And I also point out, just just the, the prosecution is picking up on the Geordie accents of the vervoids. And I also just point out that lots of planets have a north. <laughs> lots of allotments have a north. <laughs> uh, Defence, do you wish to rally to the uh, rescue of the vervoids? I think we already have done. Yeah, I think we defended that pretty well. They're yeah, icon- I think... They're iconic. Yeah, they're iconic yeah. Doctor Who villains is, is what I would, I would sum up. Um, possibly not the best, but they're iconic. You always remember your vervoids. Sometimes oh. you maybe you maybe found one in a dark corner somewhere in during a party, but you always remember them. <laughs> in a magazine in the woods. <laughs> when you were young. They're glistening. How much would that magazine be worth now if it was withdrawn from publication? It must be it must be a fair know. bit of it. You'd be after what, the November nineteen eighty six edition of Doctor Who magazine? The fabled November <laughs> Fable. ah. I think during the halftime break, I'm going to eBay it and see how much it really is worth. <laughs> Especially the special edition, the double page spread with Bonnie Langford. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we're so going to get the place staple. We're going to get to Bonnie in a bit. Before we go even further down this dark alley, not like that. Dave, next point. Spatch cup. Dave, next point for the prosecution, please. Well, I think my next point was actually the Vorvoids not being particularly bad baddies. So I think we've covered that. I've actually only got one point for prosecution left, want. personally. Yeah, but they kill people in self-defence. I don't think so. I mean, no. yeah, they're uh, they're just going. This is self-defence. They're like lurking showers and stuff and wait for people coming in, aren't they? Lurking in rooms <laughs> and in air vents and, and spreading I stand by the self-defence, <laughs> just like Gary Downey did backstage. <laughs> Doable animal life. You can be standing in a shower in self-defence. <laughs> Everyone knows this. And that case is another yeah, point. Yeah, I largely only have one point of the prosecution left. <laughs> okay. Blimey. On you go, spent, Jimmy. Jim's going to do some heavy lifting here, but <laughs> spent, spent your load yep. already. Thought I took a spaggy that did it. I'm sure. <clears throat> I guess, Dave, do you want to bring forward your point for the prosecution, or would you like Jim to? Fill I've the got gaps quite a few. Well, if um, Jeff, Jim would like to go with one, go for it. I mentioned dialogue, so let's get into that. Uh, if the court will in- indulge me, I've drawn up three categories t- to uh, cover the dialogue atrocities visited upon the story. Very well, proceed. 
Overwordy, stroke unnatural, crap, and weird. I'll start with overwordy, uh, wherein this, uh, this screenplay would not have been possible without uh, Roger's thesaurus. Pussy Galore says I must have been blinded by professional vanity. Tonka Travers says, on the previous occasion the Doctor's path crossed mine, I found myself involved in a web of mayhem and intrigue. You've heard people say this on the bus. You, know, you, you will have done. He, he, he later says, I'll match you for candor. Bruckner says, I lack your lofty detachment. Mel says, compliments, you are undergoing a change. And the doctor says, the syllogism only requires its grim conclusion. Now, if that hasn't made your ears bleed, there are more. I didn't want to go forever. To cap it all off, the doctor says, you're very quiet, Mel. Not quite your style to go into a brown study. <laughs> Pardon? Obviously a metaphor for something. Um... It's a, somebody with H-block, I think. Dirty protest. <laughs> and she says, brown study, like the audience. Uh, <laughs> and then she says, is the vocabulary of all time, Lords, so antediluvian? So... Pip and Jane Baker admit their dialogue is ridiculous while using ridiculous dialogue to say that their dialogue is ridiculous. Very meta. Pip and Jane Baker have not heard another human being speak. <laughs> That's the only conclusion I can draw from this. Okay, okay. Can, can, I, can I just say, is this exclusive to this episode or is this driveling quite a few other episodes? <laughs> it's certainly in their episodes. So so you can't just, just narrow this point to this episode because it's in... An abundance of episodes. Yeah, but say, but it's in said, this episode, and that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Although we did say last week that the Sixth Doctor era is quite wordy. He's a very mm. wordy Doctor. I think it was Cameron that... He was, yeah, yeah. That phrase, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. it is, well, yeah. that's, that's all right, but everyone is in this. And it's not just Doctor Who saying stuff. I'll just bang out my, my next two categories. Uh, category, category B, crap dialogue. Um, it must be the carrot juice making me colour blind, says the doctor. Citation, well, please. Does does carrot juice make anyone colour blind? Is that a thing? Um, yeah. <laughs> Funny you should say this. <laughs> As an optician. Um... Oh my god! I'm out of my depth. <laughs> Hit them with the science. I'll go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Carrots are scientifically to to improve the the, the vitamins that they give and all the rest of it. But. Um, Again, I'm probably going to strengthen your point. Um, carrot juice was indeed the last word uh, Colin Baker ever ever uttered in the Doctor Who episode, in the very it's final true. one. Carrot juice is his final sign-off line, which has to be mm. the shittest sign-off line in history. <laughs> no, 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 but can we point out that we're getting sort of ahead of ourselves because that's an ultimate four. But uh, I would say that they didn't know that that was going to be his final line. Oh, I think they did. I think they did. Yeah. No, no, well, he certainly didn't. <laughs> Well, you say that, but Pip and Jane Baker did write that final episode. <laughs> True. It's a possibility. You might explain his coat if he is colourblind. Well, yes. <laughs> to go back to your point, no, carrot juice isn't really anything to do with colour blindness. It's more like seeing in the dark to improve that. I, I don't believe colour blindness has anything to do with it. Thank you, Doctor. Sorry. <laughs> proves, proves my point. Uh, another, another line said by Tonka Travers. A man has been pulverised into fragments and sent floating into space. And in my book, that's murder. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, what else is there? I also would like to add, at this point, again, probably not the thingy. Um, if that's the case, 
why would you then just send random boxes into space without checking its contents? <laughs> and why do you, and why do you uh, burn and eject your towels rather than washing them on this uh, space? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh shit, he's used our towels. Should we wash it? No, we'll just fuck it off into space. It'll be fine. We'll just, we'll just fine. Oh, could there be a human in this human-sized box? No, it's about five dirty towels. Don't bother checking. Just fire it out the hatch. We've had no disasters on this ship at all this week. I mean, it'll be fine. Maybe it's only the really disgusting towels that they fire up and burn and fire up into space. And Mel was sat in there amongst all of them. These have all come from Spuggy's room, these towels. Just get them out the, <laughs> the ship as fast as possible. There's bad substances on those towels. Get rid of them. Don't use the UV light. Just get rid. Just get rid. <laughs> Don't look at oh. them. Don't smell them. Just eject them. It's glistening like a used Varvoid. <laughs> And then you can just imagine it. No, don't do that box. Bonnie Lamford's in there. Um, yeah, we know. Um, <laughs> that's that's why we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, my final my final point in dialogue is, is the weird category. There's only one entry here, but I could have probably put more in. Uh, remember the creepy bloke who gets electrocuted? Uh, just yeah. before he does... He says he's chatting Mel up in a really weird way, and he says, "We don't want you breaking your le- your neck, at least not until." And that's when he meets his death. Is there a valid ending to that sentence? I would think the actor himself is on the DVD extras asking the very same question. Oh, is he? Yes, he is. He's on the DVD. Yeah, he, he, he does say that he, he he doesn't know until what exactly he was supposed to be doing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> don't want you breaking your neck until we've wrote the next episode. That was that was a lie. No, yeah, we want to be breaking your neck until we have compiled a proper health and safety report. <laughs> end of that line. I think you'll find. That, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rescind that point. Yes, these um, lines are all very, very wordy. But we discussed last episode. The doctor is a very wordy man in this stage. Um, he does have an almost sort of ability to weaponize his intellect and prove to others straight away that he is the smartest guy in the room and he's using his wider vocabulary to do that. Regarding the other characters, it might just be a case of keeping up with him. I would imagine that Mel's lines are probably just a case of travelling in the TARDIS because you forget at this moment that Mel's been with him for a while even though we haven't seen that yet because of the time scale of everything going on. So mm-hmm. she's probably been travelling with him probably, but you get the impression a few months at least. So she's probably using these, uh, you know, got the thesaurus out just to um, uh, keep up with him. And for everyone else, we know we don't know quite what language would be like on a space liner in the year whenever in the future. So these are maybe just little foibles in the English language, which is an ever-changing thing, for better or for worse. I like that. I don't agree, but I like it. That's all I'm asking you to do. <laughs> like it maybe not agree with it but like yeah. it it was entertaining it wasn't necessarily right but it was entertaining I liked yep. it good good anyway okay anybody else want to come in on that or shall we move on to the next point for the defence I think that's about it really isn't it okay yeah. in that case uh, Cameron do you want to give us the next point for the defence of Terra River Ridge please we've mentioned her briefly in passing over the last uh, half hour or so but I would like to give the court a quote from uh, Mr. C. Baker in the DVD extras of this story. I have never in all my life worked 
worked with a better professional than Bonnie Langford. He's right, of course, and Mel brings bursting enthusiasm to the role, which is a refreshing change from Perry beforehand. There's none of the kind of doerness about Bonnie Langford uh, and Mel. There is none of the kind of like uh, whiny uh, sort of side that Perry had. Nope. Mel is straight in there with gusto, all guns blazing. There's a mystery on board and she's going to help solve it. She's a woman of action and a grand addition to the Doctor Who canon. What a shame she didn't stick around for any longer. I have never in all my life worked with a better professional. And mm-hmm. that's what you want to be told as an actor, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think about Bonnie Langford? What does she bring to it? Oh, she always turns up on time. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah. But what about as an actress? Oh, no, she's really professional. Yeah, but like, what does she bring to the role? Oh, no, she's really, to... she learns her lines. I think she will get in every episode, doesn't she? She gets that scream in every single fucking episode, that scream comes out, yeah? Yeah, that, that delightful scream, that marvellous scream, harking back to the Hammer Horror pictures of old. It's harking back to King Kong. It's taking it even the so, fe- King Kong classic cinema. It's taking the female character back to the 1920s. Wow, when she does so much in this story, she is an active part of this solving this mystery. Having known this is going to come up at some point in this episode, I decided to do a screen count when I watched it earlier on today. It's only four. Yep. Only four screams. What, one what episode. episode. How long were they? <laughs> but, but how if many I times were they repeated? Oh, I was just saying it was one an episode. It's one screen per episode. I, I counted them when I watched it as well, yes. One um, screen it's like the save it. It's like when Victor Meldrew says, I don't believe it. They save that for one an episode. It's a similar situation. Nope, not you only done the scream at one point in this episode. Choose it wisely, yeah. Strictly so, rationed. Yeah, yeah, but with one foot in the grave, they didn't at the start of the next episode play him saying it again. I don't think well, I don't think one foot in the grave was renowned for its cliffhanger endings. <laughs> he didn't say it to the pitch of the uh, closing music if one foot in the grave. <laughs> That would have been weird. I, Do I don't like believe it. Well, it's true. His voice was always perfectly matched to Eric Idols every single time. <laughs> every single... <laughs> Sometimes you can tell who was who. It's amazing. <laughs> Anybody else want to comment on the acting masterclass of Bonnie Langford in this episode? <laughs> Well, that's one of my prosecution points. We'll keep keep you powder dry for that one then. Uh, (laughs) Right, uh, if we're done with that one, Al, do you want to give us an next point for the defence, please? Hang on. We've kind of of skipped Dave's turn next, isn't it? Or the prosecution's turn next? I've just said Ronnie Langford. Did Dave not say he burned through his, though? Yeah. Have you got one in reserve? I had one in reserve and it was Bonnie Langford. Ah, okay. Well, (laughs) I always kept Bonnie Langford in my back pocket, but she escaped. (laughs) Have I just... <laughs> Along with Gentie's loop. Is, is Dave spent? That's a bit harsh. Yeah, he's only 40. <laughs> he's got plenty of years left in him. Come on. They're not good years, but they're years. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, I think we touched, we touched on it briefly before, but we'll go back to it. The body count, for Christ's sake. Now, I remember watching this, and if anyone's watched the Xenomorph episode from Red Dwarf, that seems to be exactly the special effect they used to kill people. Just that suction thing off camera, you know. I just, you know, <laughs> just, just, uh, you know, I expected them to turn into like um, some sort of uh, groinal attachment or something like that. <laughs> any, any, any minute. But I was like 
watch it with your friend like, oh, well, these people are obviously just stunned. They're not dead. No, they're just stunned. And then it got horrific. They started piling up. They had this literally heap of dead bodies. I'm like, they're all going to come back to life by the end of the episode. But no, no, they're just all dead. And it is quite terrified for a kid's five o'clock show whenever time would have went out to have a body count that high. Surely, what other sort of PG era thing have you ever seen a body pile? You know, I said at the start, that guy's like, it's my last day of the day before I retire. I'm like, well, he's fucking dead by the end of the episode, isn't he? He's getting dead. And then you thought, oh, no, no, he mightn't. No, 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 he's on the pile. He's on the pile with everyone else. Um, how many people? I didn't count. Did anyone count how many people's in that pile? Think like by the end sex. of it, there's about yeah. six or seven. Yeah, there's a oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're onto the third tier of the pyramid by the time it finishes. <laughs> <laughs> there's only about ten people on the ship, though, aren't there? No one's so ever in the, the gym. No, no one's ever in the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great bar. It's like, well, there's only one person comes in here all the time. So, <laughs> and, and whilst we're on it, why the hell would a spaceship have such a shitty eighties exercise bike on it? <laughs> As, because yeah, exercise, just like language, changes, apparently. <laughs> defense, Al, defense. Oh, sorry, sorry, I, I forget. <laughs> um, it was an excellent uh, exercise bike that I had in the gym. Yeah, it's a, it's um, a, a marvellous high-tech exercise bike of its age. It's really nostalgically good, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's obviously Re like... Retro. Yeah, I was going to say, it's obviously a retro gymnasium, yeah. just to remind people of home. So, because I'm not that good with Doctor Who... Has there been another episode where you saw so many bodies piled up in the same scene? Uh, well, I think the previous story we talked about probably runs it fairly close. Yeah. And that includes the companion. So. Oh, but she doesn't really die, though, does she? No? Yeah. Oh, not well, it's, worse. No. it's worse. She marries Brian Blessed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your eardrums died. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. There must be Doctor episodes where there's a really, really huge body count, more than six at least. Yeah, but you don't well, see them literally in a pile of bodies. That's what I mean. I think for a kids' show, that was quite a graphic scene, really. For a PG on the DVD, I think that is quite a graphic scene. But I, I, I guess, again, you know, if you're going to have a murder mystery, have a lot of murders. There you go. That's the good point. Exactly. For yeah. That would be my point entirely. It's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a visual representation of the danger that everyone's in. It's like keeping score. Nobody's safe. Just because it's exactly. a kids' show... You're getting that funny shafty thing in your neck. That's that's what you're having, yeah. Yep. That's Jim will fix it. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God. Because your Jesus letter Christ. your letter was only the start of it. <laughs> so um wipe that from the records. Um Oh that's there then. Oh fair enough. <laughs> Um, well, that's exactly what Jim said to him as well. Not our Jim here tonight. I'm talking. About. Yeah, thank <laughs> you record, for that clarification. For, for the record, I'm not saying the co-host of the Chrono Podcast is a paedophile. <laughs> I just like to make make that very very clear. I was referring to Mr. Savile. My people will talk to your people in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, this is. I, I think we touched on this during the Mindworth episode as well. In the fact that um, this is um, Doctor Who that has to have these bleak moments. It has to have this underlying threat in order to um, emphasise the Doctor's situation. And this piling up of bodies as this entire story goes on is very much a fundamental part of that. This needs to be on camera. It's not as if they're like getting mints and there's blood and guts everywhere and flying it. You know, you'll have far more violence in Hollywood movies at the time. But this is needed 
to be there to show this. It is like keeping score for the tension of the entire um, run of this story. And I, I don't disagree that there needs to be some <coughs> darkness shown, but I don't think you need this much darkness crammed into the last episode of the story and shown so much at the end of the episode because it's a very grim ending. And I know it's in the overall arc, it's meant to be grim and you feel the danger and the threat yep. to the Doctor. Yep. You don't need to see all these bodies piled up and then the slow decaying doom of the Varvoids as the Doctor's watches had turned to dust in his hand and goes, Suppose ah well, him. fuck him. And then goes back to the timeline and goes, yeah, I committed genocide. What? You're charging me with committing genocide? Where's this come from? <laughs> oh, is it because I just committed genocide? <laughs> and made oh, it in front of everyone. Well, that brings me to another point. If you're going to choose uh, an adventure from your future, would you choose one in which you commit genocide <laughs> as your defence? No, but just it, it, just because at somebody one point said, "Oh, can you give us a hand?" That's his defence <laughs> for the whole thing, isn't it? It's, it's he's picked this because it's <laughs> this is events not as he remembers them because the matrix is being altered. So he probably remembers it being this glorious, fantastic um, thing that happened when it's... Well, all um, the Vervoids lived. Oh, yeah, all the Vervoids lived and all the humans lived and they happily... The ship landed back on Earth and the Vervoids went skippity, 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 skip. <laughs> and then the uh, Vervoids themselves uh, settled in Amsterdam <laughs> and had a lovely, lovely life to themselves. <laughs> that's how he remembers it. Smoking their cousins, weren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, and then, Spuggy was there, and it was all fine. And it was this is obviously because it's being changed. He's presenting this kind of going, oh yeah, this is the evidence that you know to the contrary that um I I, you know I do you know help and things like this, but um it's um been altered you know against his will and without his knowledge. So therefore, when he's screening this. He like that. He does say at one point, it's like going, "I do not remember." You know, this events were not like this. This is not what happened. Yeah, but at that, the end of that... the episode, he agrees it was him. So you can go through the whole trial going, "Oh, he no, agrees that, it was him," but he doesn't agree that it was. It was that's what happened. Yeah, yeah he, he doesn't asked, recall that's what happened because yeah. he had five E's before it happened, and he doesn't recall <laughs> any of these events. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Your Honor, I don't remember being in that jeweler's <laughs> shop. I I never remember buying that shotgun. <laughs> oh, ripping that dog. Yeah, that was me. Like, come on now. You don't just admit to the big thing at the end when you've denied the rest of it because it's a chain of events. And he says at the end, this was me. This is what I did. You've seen why I did it. Now you understand. That's a Nuremberg defense. It's like, yeah, I, I killed that entire race of people, but come on. You could see they might have been bad one day. That's, And then he's surprised when he gets charged with genocide. It's dark. So, I mean, how much of, it, how much of this uh, evidence has been tampered with i mean did did any of this thing happen in the end and if we don't know isn't that doesn't that make the story a bit unfulfilling i think it's suggested that two scenes at most are tampered with he outright says that is not how it happens because it's the one where yeah. the when he's in the the communications room and it looks like he's destroyed all the communications room yeah that was yeah. one of them. sending mel off before the part one cliffhanger i think was yeah that was the, the other, other one yeah. Wasn't it? yeah but i mean they don't materially affect that much. I mean, the Valel says what she almost died. Well, she didn't. So, <laughs> yeah. So what? So what? Um, but I mean, you know, at the end, I mean, we we are led to believe that he's still wiped out the verboids, aren't we? Or what's the what's the yes. point of all this? And he admits yeah. that. But it's a decision he had to make. He was given a choice of either 
destroying humankind and then uh, you know having Earth being taken over by plant life, or destroying vervoids. So in that situation, he's gone with the people he holds most dear to him, which are human beings of Earth, as we know since the the, the very start of the show that he would always choose that path if given the choice. If he can defend mankind, he will. Yeah, the choice he faces is that he can either risk the human race or he can find another way of dealing with the Vorvoids. And he doesn't decide, he doesn't think about it, he goes, fuck, it's kill all of them. It's a very quick decision is, he makes. There's he, no he, agonizing he probably has it. to. He doesn't, hasn't got that much time to act on it. And Jim is just about to come in. We're, yeah, we're, we're told repeatedly it's a long journey. But the bottom line is, we're all here today to do the podcast, so he made the right decision. Otherwise, we'd all be plant people doing this, wouldn't we? So <laughs> made the right decision, you see. Irrefutable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we agreed that that was the right thing to do. I mean, objectively, that isn't necessarily the right thing to do, and that's what the Valiod's doing. But, I mean, could he not have chosen something a bit less sort of contentious from his future? And on that process of choosing what is going to be his future defence, because it's all the Christmas carol thing, isn't it? One thing happened in the past, one thing in the present. Well, the, the, the thing the is, if he, didn't, if he didn't choose this for his future defence, he would have to have chosen a Sylvester McCoy episode. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> that doesn't even look like you, Doc. What are you talking about? <laughs> Well, assuming there are some unscreened adventures, wouldn't he have chosen one which didn't involve wiping out a race? Or maybe just everything he does involves wiping out a race. <laughs> yeah. And that was the least uh, egregious of the lot. It's also yeah, it doesn't wiping seem like out a race. There's the entire pile of dead bodies as well. <laughs> which he failed to prevent him. Yeah. <laughs> I got called in to help, so that's the pile of dead over there, and that's the race I wiped out over there. How am I, yeah, how am I, I doing? I help. <laughs> How am I driving? Well, 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 if this was his best effort, I wouldn't like to see his worst efforts. Uh, (laughs) The other thing thing is about all this, like, he must have just gone through loads of footage on The Matrix. Isn't that going to just affect his future life? And he's seen all these different things he's going to do in the future. Or does his his mind get wiped or something afterwards? Then he wouldn't know that they'd been changed. Hmm. Because he says, I watched that earlier and it wasn't like this. Yeah, you're right. So he does remember at least this one. He must remember what he's seen. He must remember at least this one, yeah. Maybe he's allowed to remember one one adventure from his future. He'd have picked a better one. (laughs) Or can you imagine if he shows fear? Uh, No, it is. Not it is here. (laughs) (laughs) I presented a courtroom loving monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Right, next point for the persecution, please, Jim. Well, I'm going on to the dual subject of Mel and Bonnie Langford. Mel has no introduction, which is interesting, but ultimately unfulfilling. And she has a rather strange arc. She starts by fat-shaming the Doctor and ends by ruining Sablon Glitz's life. So she's got to be one of the strangest companions we've ever had. Bonnie herself is too musical theatre for Doctor Who. In this story, when she gets out of the TARDIS and looks around, she looks like she's just run on stage and is about to burst into songs, <laughs> which is slightly distracting, I find. And every every facial expression is designed to uh, hit the uh, short side bloke in row Z of the theatre. <laughs> so she's not really she's not really a TV actress at this stage. And apparently, she's very good at East End as well. I've seen her. But at this stage, uh-uh. and uh, as, as I think uh, Dave said earlier, 
it's his return to the screamer that we haven't really seen since probably Victoria Waterfield. Uh, I mean, the difference is she has perfect pitch and can uh, hit Dom- Dominic Glynn's <laughs> Dominic Glynn's cliffhanger scream. But you know, that's not everything, is it? You know, that's not what Emmeline Pankhurst died for, is it? <laughs> So uh, she's a bit of a retrograde step, all told, <laughs> in my opinion. And there rests the rests the uh, the case for the prosecution on uh, on Mel Stroke, Bonnie Langford. Defence yeah. rushed to the aid of. Oh, sorry, Dave, when you go. No, I was going to say I think there is a like alternate universe where it's Bonnie Langford and Peter Capaldi, but Peter Capaldi goes full Malcolm Tucker on her. <laughs> she just comes out and goes, "The sun will come out," and he goes, "Fuck off," <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I'd like to see that. I would like to see that as well, actually. Fuck off out of my fuckity tardis. <laughs> and take your show tunes with you. <laughs> with your dancity fuck. I, I, I don't know if this is topical or not on the podcast, but it is time for Scotland's first ever penalty shootout. Ooh. Right. Shall we hold the recording here? Or <laughs> No, I think it's too depressing to actually contemplate. Yeah. I think we should probably carry on. For, for the purposes of the take, we're recording this episode in the same that Scotland's play their... Euro 2020 semi-final playoff, wherever the hell it is against Israel. <laughs> Which is probably absolutely no interest to anybody who's listening to this, so we should gloss over it and move on. Yeah, well, I think even if you're Scottish, we should gloss over it. <laughs> um, we should turn our backs to it, like Jürgen Klopp used to turn his back, didn't they? <laughs> Liverpool would take your penalties. That's what we should do. Just for the full 90 minutes if you're watching Scotland. That's probably the best way. <laughs> Anyway, to uh, from a group of yes. eleven gingers on a pitch to um, one particular ginger with a pitch to sing, um, eleven men, yeah, oh, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very nice. Very I cannot nice. believe no, that's this. Oh yes, <laughs> I cannot believe that this courtroom is doing down Mel slash stroke Bonnie Langford. Um, yes, she's very much musical theatre, but she—that's obviously her background and training. You can't really avoid that and help that. Um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Is that what you No, exactly. Yeah, so yes, yeah, or a young one any other <laughs> tricks. I mean, she does start off by fat shaming the doctor. Yes, and this appears to be some sort of an attempt at sort of a comedic, light-hearted relationship between the two of them. Um, which you could argue doesn't quite maybe hit it off as much as they maybe thought it would do. <laughs> uh, kind of really, what do you mean she ruins Sablon Glitz's life? Well, he's going, uh, he's following his piratical life, isn't he? And uh, just because um, her contract is ended and Doctor Who, uh, she suddenly decides to join him and he doesn't seem to have any say in it. And um, oh, you're talking gonna, in Dragonfire? Yeah, she's going to cramp his style. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay. Is, I, I was kind of like, not, I was racking my brains trying to work out in this how she ruins Sablon Glitz's life. Not unless, not unless he watched it. No, yeah, that would have ruined that would have ruined his life. But no, Dragonfire. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, a strange, okay. strange arc for. I know it's not to do with this, the ending, but I mean, it's a strange arc yeah. all around, isn't it? But um, yeah, I mean, it's just it ends ridiculously. Mm. That's a word. Well, apparently the following series was supposed to include a Mel introduction episode, but they didn't make that series. So I guess they did have the intentions, oh, of right. it, but it didn't happen. The lost season. And yeah. it probably wouldn't have happened to any because Colin Baker was sacked at the end of this one. So yeah, a so, bit difficult yeah. to then go back and 
Unless the entire thing would be done as Sylvester McCoy in a blonde wig. <laughs> which would have been somewhat <laughs> obvious for any more than three seconds. How you can say that after that majestic regeneration scene, <laughs> I oh. do not know. I still think that's the best one of them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, she, she just kind of does jump in on this uh, uh, story. She's not really introduced in any great way, but then obviously this story is from a future, and it is, I think, fairly quickly established that they have been travelling with each other for a good few months. So do you need that kind of world-building? You kind of... You, you, as a as a viewer, you are kind of obviously shown that they've been traveling for a long time. It's not Perry anymore. Here's who he's with. The companion role of Doctor Who's been sort of fairly planted in a good solid foundation from you know up until this point. So it's fairly easy to work out what's going on with them. Yeah. So I don't think she necessarily needs the elaborate introduction. It's minimalist, definitely, but I don't think she really needed an elaborate introduction that would have taken probably a good sort of 10, 15 minutes of this episode at least. I'll just wait I... until Big Finish do it. Yeah, exactly. It leaves the door open for Big Finish to do an introduction instead. <laughs> they certainly expanded on the Valyard character. They did, didn't they, Al? Yeah, because this is the only time we ever see him in an episode and then he's gone, even though I think he's established as a very good character. I think this is one of my points, but uh, I sort of seamlessly weaving this into everything. And I thought the actor playing him was very, very good in all four episodes. And they did really good to build this character up. But then, of course, it was a hiding for nothing because he never turns up again, does he? So it's a bit of a shame in that sense. It but is. I thought he was. I thought he acted the part very, very well, I did, in the whole thing. Dave, I think you're about to say something about Perry getting written out. Yeah, I was going to say that if Perry gets written out and killed, and then next is just, here's Bonnie Langford. Background? Nah, it's fine. So there's no investment in the character because... There is no character. There's intrigue, though. She's just... But there's... Where's she come from? You mean there's unanswered questions? Yeah, well, there's questions hanging in the air. There's there's nothing... You know, it's not laid on a plate for you. It's not, um, you know, spelled out like the audience is thick. But you just said a minute ago that you don't need it spelled out. You don't need told all this. There's well, no why, need for the background. I mean, they don't need it, and they shouldn't have done it, because <clears> any other option would have just been, like, you know, laid it out playing his day and you know making sure that you know treating the audience like they're dense but you've gone from one companion having her mind ripped out and mm-hmm. her head shaved and now hey here's a new companion do you want to know about her you don't need no, to it's, it's dispensable like, <laughs> it's like if your yeah. hamster dies you just go on pet shop and get another one it's the same, <laughs> same thing you know don't move no, on to gerbils like or i'm gonna have to intercede just go off and get another one it's fine <laughs> Let's go to this. Let's go to this arty school thing for ballet dancers. Oh look, there's another companion for your doctor. You go. Perry's gone to live on a farm. She's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, Brian, bless it. What more do you want? You oh, lose. Oh, you lose Nicola Bryant. Go to the pet shop and they give you Bonnie Langford. You're burning that fucker down. <laughs> That's a big finished box set I'd like to see. Perry and Brian <laughs> living on a farm together. I'm sure he'll be on Channel 5 soon anyway. No alien invasions, just there every day to their life. There's Bend the... over, die! <laughs> Bring me the chickens! <laughs> There's Nicola milking the cows. Grasp <laughs> the teeth! <laughs> To save it for the magazine, it's going to be pulled off the shelves. <laughs> and here we see Nicola Bryant masturbating a horse. 
It's not part of any medical procedure. We just wanted to see it happen. <laughs> there aren't even any horses on this film. We had to bring one in specially. <laughs> That's not really a horse. It's Brian Blessed in a big coat. Nay! Anyway. Uh... Hi. I feel we've digressed from the point somewhat there. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> How can you just tell? A just a touch, Jim. Just a touch. Yeah. <laughs> just a touch. Yeah. Just a little smidge. Aye. So the prosecution point is that we wouldn't let Bonnie Langford wank off Brian Blessed dressed as a horse because we don't believe in the character. It's closed. <laughs> it's closed. Is that the character of Bonnie Langford, the character of the horse? <laughs> both. Uh, both. Okay. Just establishing that. That's fine. Whichever is uh, less unrealistically played. <laughs> oh, man. Just don't ask how he plugged in the tail. <laughs> we kept mentioning Bonnie Lamford and the word stroke in the same sentences, so I guess we were asking for trouble, weren't we? Yeah, no. Not without mentioning Wayne Sleep. Now, well. now it's Mel, stroke, Bonnie Lamford, stroke, horse. Yes? <laughs> yep. Why were stroke talking until about... fruition. <laughs> The new album from Genesis. <laughs> it is 4-2 at the minute, so I'll let you know when the next penalty goes in. <laughs> all right. It's all Scotland, guys. I'm sure you'll appreciate it all. The, the next penalty goes in, we'll make it 4-5. Bet you will lose. <laughs> this, this is live three weeks ago, listeners. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm dating the podcast, sorry. Yeah, it's totally fine. Someone's got to. While we're on the subject of talking about Melanie's character, have you watched the DVD of the production notes on? No. Because during episode four, we do find out that uh, we find out the original pitch for the character that John Nathan Turner drew up. Oh, yeah. And it makes quite some reading. <laughs> uh, I've got it here. And, and I quote, Melanie is one of those annoying young ladies who is all, in quotation marks, women's liber at all times. <laughs> Except at moments of great stress, when she relies heavily on playing the hard done by downtrodden, crocodile-tiered female. Who's going to accept that part? <laughs> that sort of character writer. Someone who's never burned a bra in their life. I suspect she's probably in a hiding to nothing from the start on that character development. <laughs> oh, God, that's terrible. Barry Letts would blush over that. <laughs> Scotland will play Serbia in the next round. There you go. Oh, I'm, hey. I'm, I'm in a way small delight for going through my head. Our but first and only final. Scotland are <laughs> going to get tanked off Serbia. And somebody has said on Twitter, I get the feeling that as a leader, if Steve Clark was an officer in the US Army in Vietnam, he'd be in more danger of getting shot by his own soldiers than by the Viet Cong. <laughs> That's the level of Scottish football right now. Oh, nicely, nicely put. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A bit, bit harsh, though. Getting back to Bonnie Langford. Yeah. <laughs> Annoying gingers, yes. Yes. We're all getting back to it in a way, aren't we? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. In the end, we all go to Bonnie Langford, really, don't we? That's the circle of life. All roads lead there. And horse trails as well. <laughs> anyway. Horse trails. Defence, would you like to come to the uh, run to the aid of Bonnie Langford and defend her honour? Well, I think we've been doing defending Bonnie Langford's honour for a long, long time this evening. I think we spent the entire evening defending Bonnie Langford. 
She okay. is the consummate professional. She brings enthusiasm to Mel's role. She doesn't need the introduction because this is part of the whole time scale, the trial of a time warp, <clears throat> the entire series. She's there as a a, a sort of action um, person. She gets right into the thick of it. She's trying to solve this mystery aboard this um, this space freighter, whatever it is, the holiday camp on in space. <laughs> Um, Heidi high in space. Heidi high in space. Yeah, to be honest, Cameron, you're just describing Scooby Doo so far. <laughs> what are you doing? She's Thelma. That's who she is. <laughs> exactly. She's brilliant. They kind of are. You, it's just you, she gets such an unfair flack, does Bonnie Langford? Can I can I ask a legitimate <clears throat> question? Um, of course, go ahead. Go. I, I like to say I don't know the history of Doctor Who that much. But I'm sure there's been many polls and stuff out there. Where does she rate on the doctor's assistance poll? I was hoping you didn't bring that up, Al. (laughs) (laughs) Fairly low. (laughs) I would imagine she's probably bottom third at most. Let let me Google this and uh, give you a definitive answer, Al. I think there's a good chance she's all the way to the base of the poll. Is this one of them questions I shouldn't have asked? <laughs> yeah, I think you probably should have wisely, okay. maybe, selected. You ignore Cameron. Have... There's no questions you shouldn't ask. <laughs> She's in a fight to the death of Edric, I would say. Oh, she can't. Oh, no, no, come on. We Unless you count Chameleon. And no, Chameleon. Yeah. Yeah, come on. They're obviously Chameleon didn't even get up off a chair. <laughs> so she's bottom three. She beat for that, then. She certainly got off a chair at least at one point. Yeah. Right, and let's... she's not made of metal. Yeah, it's true that we know of. She looks quite rusty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there, is, there has been a poll carried out of the 50 Doctor Who companions ranked best to worst. Now, I'm looking at the bottom five, and in place of, you know, David Swedder at Come Game or If the Doctor Was, would any of you like to hazard a guess as to what the bottom five Doctor Who companions might be? Right. Dodo. Dodo. I've got, I feel like Nick knows now. I'm going to tell you if he's, she's on the list or not on the list. <laughs> Dodo is not on the list. Chameleon. Chameleon's got to be on there. Adric. Is on the list at second bottom at number 33. Adric. Adric's bottom. Adric. What about Adric's bottom? <laughs> Adric is. Adric is on the arse end of the pole. Adric Not suitable for work. So Adric, chameleon so far. Uh, what about canine? Maybe a controversial one. No canine. Oh. The only two options that are left are what I would consider to be very controversial choices. Are they, are they all classic? Or? Uh, classic and new. Oh, no, Adam? Donna Adam Noble. Shall I put you all in your misery? Yeah. Please do. Filling the other two bottom two positions of the bottom five are Vicky. <gasps> and Ben Jackson <gasps> I'm appalled and offended by to my very core I feel like Colin Baker after listening to this <laughs> poll result but Mel but not in the it's not five. often I feel like Colin Baker there you go she's know. not see, um, um, oh, yeah that's that's all the fences she's not in the bottom five companions <laughs> yeah, yeah she's not in the bottom 50. five my erstwhile uh, colleague was aware of this fact, and that's why he's brought Yeah, I just question. was luring into that. I knew exactly yeah. what that <laughs> yeah. was. Your de- defence was based on evidence not yet provided or known <laughs> by the defending counsel. Yeah, no, strike, we, strike it off. 
We knew fine. Um, yeah, it's just, just lowering you. Along. You know, that, that's exactly what it was. Yep, we tricked you all. You all have fell for it. Hook, <laughs> line, and sinker. A honey trap. <laughs> I don't think you really see she's the worst companion in Doctor. No, nope, never. Really in your heart of hearts? When you Only like for its honey trap. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about Doctor Who companions screaming at aliens, then... Bonnie Langford's the first one that comes to your mind. Is it that is. A good thing? I think the judge. It is a very good thing. It is, she's done her job. She's memorable. I get the feeling that nobody else in the courtroom is believing that there, just by <laughs> silence. That is why I am believing it all for them. <laughs> you see that? <laughs> You've got enough belief for everyone. Everyone to go around. Yes. So popular, uh, DePaul um, produced two action figures of her, one in the blue dress and one in the pink dress. That's how popular yep. she was. There you yep, go. Yep, there you go. Uh, I mean, you also produced a, gray, uh, a green canine, but I mean, no, there you go. You can't <laughs> have it, can you? The two-handed Davros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they knew what they were doing. <laughs> Reliable defence. Shall we move on to the next point? Uh, where are we? One prosecution or defence? I've lost track now. What a stock um, of... Um, prosecution, action. probably, I would guess. Dave or Jim, do you want to give us a final well, point? Well, it's not going to be me. <laughs> Dave spent. I've, I've run out except for one random point that I chucked in at the end. Go for it, Andrew. <clears throat> Which is direction. Don't do a, a cliffhanger reaction shot of the Doctor when he's wearing a full-face gas mask. <laughs> You're not going to capture any emotion from that. That's a valid point. Yep. Defence, do you wish to come back on that? You, you oh. can only apply one part, not all four parts. All right. <laughs> all right yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm attacking one part at the moment, and I'm hoping, like a Jenga tower, the rest will fall. <laughs> yep, it's a fair point. It is badly written, because the writers would have known the Doctor would have been wearing a gas mask. They might not have known the actual style of gas mask, but they would have known that his face was at least partially right. covered. Absolutely. So when they wrote in the script... The direction close into the doctor's face. They would have known the doctor's face wasn't there, so they might have gone close into a blank wall because it's just as useful. <laughs> I, I've got a question to ask, and again, I don't know whether I should. On, on, is anyone compiled the whole of worst Doctor Who episodes? Oh, there's oh, hundreds yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I just wondered. Is this on the is this on the bottom five for the worst Doctor Who? Uh, I God, think the, no. the, the defense counsel should possibly have kept his gub shut. Um, <laughs> the jury of all Doctor Who fans has put this very low now. Uh, I should probably remind the court that we're sailing very, very close to copyright infringement with Dex's fair that it come game. We are, we are. Yeah, on the time last, we have questions to ask. We have already mobilised your lawyers. But largely when it comes to Doctor Who fans, you can ask, is there a poll of whatever drink was most used in Doctor Who episodes? There will be a poll for it. It oh, doesn't matter what it is. What is your favourite hat stand in Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Davison's first series, definitely. Oh, sorry. I think there's... Um, there's and someone will go, his first series? Fuck off! There is no way the best hat stand. Oh, but the third series? You're not a true <laughs> fan. That's it, You hate Doctor Who if you like that. <laughs> what we're saying, Al, is that there's so many poles in Doctor Who fandom that Germany have invaded. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 right, so. Uh, I 
it's, it's like you and Dave have just crossed roles here. <laughs> I was completely broadsided by that. <laughs> is this an right. episode we'll find out that me and Dave are actually the same person? I think, I, I think this is probably... It's your dark side, Cameron. That's what yes. it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, because I'm sure that Lee's seen us in the same room at the same time. So we're but how safe. can he be sure? <laughs> it's all getting a bit metaphysical yep, now. pretty much. I just think the episode isn't that bad. Like I said, I went into it thinking, oh my God, this is going to be the worst thing I've ever saw. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole series, if I'll be honest with you. I think it's it's just got so a reputation of being terrible. I think people go in expecting a lot worse than it actually is. And I don't think it's that bad at all as a whole series. Which is why at the start of this defence, when we started with Mysterious Planet, I was encouraging people to watch these stories before they put their vote in. Thinking, thinking something's not as bad as you thought it would be is not a ringing endorsement, is it? <laughs> yeah. You go up to a group of mum and say, come on now, childbirth isn't as bad as you remember it. <laughs> they will not be happy with you. <laughs> Just because it's not as bad as you remember doesn't mean it's good. Like the last time I got syphilis, it wasn't as bad as I remembered it, but it wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you split your perineum? Well, Terror of the Vervoids is better than that. I'm looking at the Vervoid costumes, the practically the same look. Yep. (laughs) Moving on, are we? I think we probably should, shouldn't we? Yes, yes. Oh, I just, I'll make one last point that's got nothing to do with anything. I'll just sort of make it anyway. The the Valyard in in, uh, Doctor Who, I said, plays a very good part. He, He actually plays a very pinnacle role in British television mm. uh, I said I told this to Cameron you, you might remember it you might not but he is the gentleman who discovers the watch in Only Fools and Horses to get Del Boys millions of pounds is he? so there you go that's a little little trivia oh factor there. there you go he plays Raquel's dad the antique dealer and he, he discovers the watch in Del Boys garage and tells them what it could be and then and then there you go so yes he's got a very pinnacle thing in British television history he has like, and I, that's the quality of actor that Doctor Who was bringing in <laughs> for this series. Never mind Ken Dodd and the rest of them. Nope, no, no, he comes much so much for later. Beryl, Beryl Reed. Yep, none of that, none of that. Nope, no, nope. Bonnie Langford. Yes. Joan <laughs> Sims. Joan Sims. Yes, definitely. Tony uh, but... Selby. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> That's why, yeah, my learned colleague I, is indeed true and correct. I, I think the court should take a moment just to acknowledge that sterling bit of uh, trivia that I was having to do. Not only <laughs> that, but acknowledge the man's dedication to this podcast. That not only has he watched Terror of the Vervoids, he's bought the entire DVD box set of Trial of the Time Lord just for this. Yeah, yes. just for this. Just yep. for this. So, yep. I was quite annoyed when Cameron told me I was just doing the one episode because I would have just went straight to that. But I sat and watched them all first, yeah. yeah that That's would be eight pounds in six hours you'll never get back. <laughs> <laughs> and so many more memories of Bonnie Langford. <laughs> right then, have we got any more points to go? We do, yeah. The the, the defence have a couple that we can unload. Okay. Right and then. I point out, the defence sounded really tired actually when it was saying that. <laughs> like, yeah, we do. I've got a couple of points. Okay, did you have an energy well, for the final rally? Quick, what, um, yeah, well, this unload is, um, your point. I'm unloading my point upon thee now. Um, Oliver Nicola Bryant. <laughs> Oliver Bonnie Langford. Deep down, it's a dream you've had, Dave. Deep down, it's a dream you've had. Yeah. Um, deep down. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Before we started. 
That's why I wasn't on camera for five minutes during the break. Um, Defence oh. for the love of God, will you give us a point? Uh, <laughs> Still haven't washed this hand. We need to talk about Honor Blackman. Not in, not in this context that Dave's talking about, but in Doctor Who. In the fact that this is a chance for her to play an eminent scientist, a role which she maybe wouldn't have got otherwise. I'm, you know I mean? I'm absolutely positive she read the script and she went, I was a fucking Bond girl and now I'm reduced to this. Sorry. Um, defense. <laughs> defense. Defense. Oh, defense. Sorry, defense. Sorry. <laughs> right. Put it on a post it. Defense. <laughs> Um, as, I, as I say at the courtroom, that my learned colleague is prone to outbursts, um, especially when he's on his fourth corona. Um, please, please ignore them. <laughs> he's receiving treatment as we speak. Um, so it's um, you know I, I quite was I was quite impressed with Honor Blackman in this. You know, it's a chance to maybe play a role that she hasn't had before, and she does it really well. You know, for she's. In amongst all this long list of quite high-grade guest appearances in this uh, entire series, and she holds her own among them. I mean, you've got Onslow off keeping up appearances coming up. What more you do have. you want? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I think, again, this is the case of an actress coming in, doing a job in Doctor Who, and being almost underutilised. You've got Joan Sims in the previous episode, which I know we're not talking about. We're talking about this story. Yep. But it's an actress who comes in with quite a high pedigree mm-hmm. and isn't really utilised that well. There's two, maybe three scenes where she gets to show her acting chops. The rest of the time, she's just part of a crowd. And it's a waste of a high-level actress. She's well, at least she didn't die. True. That, that's a good point from the defence. <laughs> at least she didn't die. Yep, yep. she's there still alive at the end she of it. She did and... die, didn't she? Oh, hang on. Did she not? Oh, God. Lesky, Lesky dies, doesn't she? She gets... Uh, God, I'm having... I'm having... I don't know. I thought she, gets, she didn't, but maybe that point spiked wrong. by a verbo. Yep. Christ, I must she have... She does oh. die. I must have fell asleep at that point. Um... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the defence. <laughs> no further questions, Your Honour. <laughs> I think I've done a very good job of defending this. Anyway. You've done a fantastic <laughs> job, yeah. Al. Such a fantastic job, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Twitter will agree with you. <laughs> I say this with all the love in the world. Fuck Twitter. <laughs> well, I wonder and that, how. And that goes down to all the Twitter fans yeah. of the police to, boss. To the, to the majority of our listeners and the people who vote in our poll, Dave says fuck Twitter. <laughs> I I'm wonder sure that most of the people on Twitter will say fuck Twitter as well. I would. Yeah. Not, not the people on it, but just Twitter in general. Fuck mm. Twitter. Twitter as a concept. Yeah. Anyway, Honor Blackman. Uh, yeah, so that's all I would say. It's a chance for her to play a role. She's not really underutilized. She is one of the main sort of characters. She's the scientist that is involved with the Ver voice to begin with in the actual story. <clears throat> I can't see how that's underutilized. How did they find the Ver voice? How did they come up with them? Who decided she was in charge? Who's she working for? Who's she employed by? What's she hoping to get out of this? We don't find any of this out. We're, we're told, oh yeah, they're taking the Vervoice to Earth because of uh, Step 5 profit. That's it. Oh, I was blinded by science and shit. There is something of the whale in Yutani about them. I have to say that. <laughs> you don't have to say that, you just decided to. Yeah. Um, but it, it is very much the corporation. Yeah. But it's never shown what they're hoping for. 
We know they're selling out their science, selling out their morals, ignoring all this, risking everyone on Earth for... And that for is never filled out. The reasoning isn't there. We don't know what her end game is, what she wants to achieve. We don't know what she's getting paid now to do this. We're just told, yeah, she's doing this for reasons because she's a scientist. And that's it. So there was plenty of room to flesh out the character in the background that's never used. She could have had a conversation with the doctor, who's a fellow scientist, about why they decided this was the right path to go down. And yes, she regrets it now, but all she says, ah, I was blinded, wasn't I? And that's it. Then she dies. So I think she was underused because she could have been shown as a much more rounded character instead of just being token scientist, head of the team. Oh, there's a woman in charge. This is going to go wrong. She spends all her time in the gym. Yes, she does. Seems she does. to work for her. She does have a certain passion <laughs> for exercise bikes. She's a guilt for her. I would have squeezed all the juice out of that saddle. God. Defence, please rescue this. Um, <laughs> Just divert it, at least. If Change the subject. <laughs> Once the flow started, you can't divert it. Should we, should we get back to Nicola Bryant and Brian Blessed wanking off a horse? I feel it was much more wholesome. Yeah, it was safer, I think. Yeah, I bet we're on safer ground there. I think the defence is just about done, actually. But we did have a final point saying this is a defined clash between plant and flesh. And the hydropod capsules look amazing as they hatch out. There's a definite threat. It's almost kind of alien-ish in the fact that, you know, there's a sort of like an egg or pod thing that you know is going to hatch eventually with them. And there's a sort of um, underlying course of terror, um, pardon the pun, through the story as a result of that. He's, he's right. It's like Ridley Scott was given a tenant to make aliens. That's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Defense! Defense! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's similar to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was first made in 1956. Yep. So it's not exactly original. You could say this for Shadows Alien, but it's as much a rip-off for 1950s. Surely the majority of Doctor Who stories are rip-offs of something. The defence does have a point. And again, ladies and gentlemen, the defence. No, no, I'm I'm defending it by saying it falls in that same genre as every other Doctor Mm -hmm. Who story you've got. It's just, you know, it's a Doctor Who story. By definition, it's ripped off from something. Yeah, it is. And I'm I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad story to rip off, but it's not necessarily original. Oh. Ooh, look, there's bad guys in pods that will steal your body. It's literally Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mix in with Day of the Triffids, and that's basically the story. All corner posts of science fiction in the usual realms of if you're going to rip off something, rip off a good one. And then you throw a bit of Agatha Christie in there, a bit of Pussy Galore, and you've got a classic. And exactly. Bonnie laughing the horse. What more do you want? <laughs> I want it to be good. They took all these really great influences, yeah. mixed it all together, and came out with a turd. You wanted it to be good, but instead it was great. <laughs> it was a turd with ginger hair and tap shoes on. I've got, I've got to say, I, I, I love that I was just spent an entire like last two hours of recording completely undermining the defence, and then pulls it out the fire at the last moment. <laughs> <laughs> a masterstroke, Mister Melbourne. A master. <laughs> I'm used to this. It's all about the timing. 
<laughs> I'd like to say I disagree with you completely there. I would never say he's done that. <laughs> okay. Is that us for points? I think we are now utterly pointless. Yep. <laughs> completely we spent. Since episode one. <laughs> yes. My, my oh. Demeter seeds are spent. <laughs> Again, and I, just, I, yeah, I think it's much more fun being the prosecution. I, you, you given, you've given both a try this evening, haven't you? Before the defence bickering escalates, should we go into listener evidence? Let's go to listener evidence, yes. Okay, well, let's go for that then. Okay, we've had a little bit of uh, listener evidence for Terror of the Everoids. Uh, Afterglow has said, in its own way, it's a masterpiece. Indeed. Good. Citation needed. Sorry, Jim, go ahead. I just said citation needed. <laughs> okay. Also, Paul Waring has been in touch. He says, I understand why some fans don't like it, but I think the Vervoids are an original enemy with great costumes, especially considering the budget, and would like to see them return. Mel gets to be a proactive investigator and a good sidekick. It's not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Indeed. But and last but not least, we've got Deborah, who says, honestly, Vervoids is probably the best, it's probably the trial story I find easiest to watch. And Mel is actually kind of refreshing. It's another vote for not guilty. Oh, that's at least so, three in the bag. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty unanimous as far as listeners go. I mean... Yeah, but look at Brexit. Come on. <laughs> yep. There's always 48% that are wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, I've got a review from uh, one of my friends who uh, ran the largest branch, uh, one of the largest branches of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society in the 80s, oh, okay. uh, the Newcastle branch. Uh, but having read it, I think it's probably best if I just stay silent. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you presented it before the courtroom. You might, yeah. now must read it out. Well, this you, is from my friend. You read Chris. the defence post-it, didn't you? Yeah, this is from <laughs> my friend Chris, who, who ran the, the Newcastle branch of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society up until the late 80s, he did. And he, he's given me a long a long thing, but I uh, I just think I'll, I'll pick one quote from it. I'll just find it. Hang on, I just, I just found it there. Here we go. I'll just quote this one line from him. I have no interest whatsoever in ever seeing a single second of this season again. <laughs> End quote. So he's on the fence then, yeah? I decided. <laughs> well, it's just, I'm, I'm truthful. It's what my friend wrote. So I thought I'll just bring it up on the podcast because, you know, he, he seems to be quite good with his Doctor Who stuff he does. So I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, yep. Defence. Defence. I personally Baker, would like to applaud that. Colin Baker could have made a half-decent Doctor given a chance. There you go. That's that's. <laughs> That's his defensive line. Defence. And with praise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. I like this is only episode in the specials where it suddenly becomes free. Oh, <laughs> yep, it's feeling that way. Well, you know, I thought my friend might have backed me up, but no, he's he's just wrote a scathing review of it instead. Um, <laughs> Wanker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's an alcoholic. His opinions doesn't count. <laughs> That's a terrible thing. It's he hasn't drunk in years, but we'll just we'll just go with that. Just to, just to discredit it a bit. Unreliable yeah, witness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I find that exhausts all the evidence that we've been presenting. That <laughs> no, does, yeah, and no, it's yeah. I think I think Cameron and Al might it might do want to have a little chat before this happened. Really. <laughs> 
Just my opinion. Do you want another punchline of that joke? <laughs> we did. <laughs> Have you learned nothing of the list of Jim Morgan last week? <laughs> Who practically took apart Mind Warp on the defence team. Uh, the court have suggests that the defence might want to pick their co-defenders a little bit more carefully. Uh, but uh, they, they were picked for me, were they not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, y- your evidence has been tampered with, Cameron, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, we went through it in rehearsal, it was all good, and now the evidence has all been tampered with, yeah. I blame the Valyard. Just <laughs> Cameron yeah. at the end of the recording going, that's not how it happened. That's not how it happened. <laughs> Next week I'll be wandering around an old pottery. With Onslow from keeping up appearances. <laughs> okay, shall we get on to the verdict then? Yes, please. Let's wrap this sorry episode up, shall we? Yep. Okay, so Terror of the Vervoids has long been considered the most palatable slick section of the Trial of a Time Lord series. But with the evidence presented before us today, can we say it deserves that accolade? The defence have stated this is a multi-layered story and Agatha Christie in space deserving of the title bestowed upon it. This is correct, it's certainly multi-layered and weaves numerous plot threads, and the story is engaging, but is there too much going on? The hijacking of the ship by Rudge might just be one element too many, and it does seem as it's been drafted in to show up an underlying fourth episode. Instead of being a dramatic high point, it's dispensed with very quickly within a few minutes. We've already had the ship hijacked a few minutes previously by Bushner, with more believable motivations to pilot the ship into a black hole to stop the threat of the vervoids ever reaching Earth. Dave made a point out earlier on about there being only 15 minutes of the vervoids. Lose the hijack plot strand and we could have much more time getting to know the vervoids and their motivations. Talking over the vervoids, they're certainly striking in a way that no Doctor Who villain has been before or since. Despite looking like giant leafy cockvage hybrids, they're brilliantly designed. In fact, there's a lot of good design work in this story. The multi-level lounge and the cargo hold shots give director Chris Puff room to play in with sweeping crane shots and angles aplenty. The cargo hold set in particular is a good lesson in how to use space available to you well, despite not having the budget. The bare bones of the walls of Studio One at Television Centre are used here to good effect to blend in seamlessly and help give this area a real sense of scale. Same with the lighting in the pod chamber, that adds a real sense of atmosphere in a studio-bound story. The music. Well, the prosecution does have a point of certain choices here. The John T music in the TARDIS scene is grating, but while the exercise music in the gym is as well, it's a nice feed nod back to the Macra Terror, as they use the same music that the marching band play in that story here. And there are some comedy wah 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 stings at the end of some scenes. The rest of the score? Well, it's standard 80s incidental Doctor Who music, isn't it? And that's not meant as an insult. Malcolm Clark's scores often bring a, some sense of menace and foreboding to what's developing on screen, and here's no exception. We'll move on to the two leads. Well, this is how Colin's Doctor really should be. He's comfortable with and enjoying the presence of his companion. There's no bombast. There's a degree of charm as well. Mel, despite being a little stagey, is a massive contrast to Perry and sits Colin's doctor much, much more. She's an evective presence. This is long before she's written as a parody of herself further down the line that the prosecution suggests that she is here. She's willing to investigate. She's inventive and using the headset to record what's going on behind the vents. She plays an active role in proceedings. And the story itself, 
It's a solid story in its own right, to the point where it was included as a standalone extra, with the trial scenes removed on the Blu-ray set. It stands up, and yes, while it is derivative, it's engaging, and certainly one in the eye for those who claim that Pip and Jane Baker are terrible writers. There's decent cliffhangers in each part, despite the sequence of the cliffhanger in episode 3 being changed around, which robs it a lot of its impact. And right at the end, genocide! Mind you, like I said, it's a bit rich of the Time Lords to pull that one out of the bag when they've effectively got the Doctor to do that before. There's way more good, bad, good than bad here. So the court therefore finds ten of the Vyrvoids not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. You're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright, because it's not up to him anyway. No. His uh, voice counts for nothing. <laughs> my opinions matter not a jot. <laughs> As my wife tells me. <laughs> Defence, do you uh, want to make any closing comments there? I think um, it's a joyous day in this courtroom. Um, I'd like to feel that the general public will take what you've said on board and the decision of the court and uh, uphold it with the um, regard which I know they're capable of. Prosecution, do you want to make an appeal to the good nature of our listeners and convince them to condemn terror of the vervoids in the pool? I think for the final shot thoughts for the prosecution, what I should really do is turn it over to Al <laughs> and ask what he really, really thought of this episode. Well, I think you should just disregard everything I've said for the last two hours and uh, concentrate on Cameron's comments. Yeah, that's what I'm used to. So, sorry, Al, 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 could you repeat that? Because I couldn't hear you over the furious sound of backpedalling. <laughs> Activate the sleeper cell! <laughs> So what Al said was that we shouldn't listen to any of the points the defence have made the last two hours. It was all nonsense. <laughs> no, just me. Just me. Cameron had some very, very meaningful points. He did very mm, good points. Mm. And uh, I just was along for the ride. And I've had a thoroughly enjoyable evening, gentlemen. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. Um, well, that's the yeah. main thing. It's been a pleasure to have both of you on board. <laughs> yeah. Now I was going to say, I think the main points for the prosecution goes back to what Cameron said earlier. Just watch this episode. Actually, watch it with a fresh eyes, fresh point of view, and then realise that it's a bag of shite. Well, as always, it's not down to the decision in the courtroom. The final decision rests with you, the listener. So for seven days after this episode goes out, we'll put a poll up on Twitter. You, the listener, get to decide whether a teller of their voids is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. And we'll reveal the result and our results special that goes out on the anniversary day itself on 23rd of November. Jim, Al, it's been a pleasure to have you both here. It's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, I've loved it. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but while we've got you here, do you want to plug anything you're involved in that the listeners might be interested in? Al. I'll let Cameron do that because he plugs a lot of mine. Well, I'm going to give <laughs> so Al. To I'm going to give Al a thorough plugging. Um, <laughs> no, it's uh, me and Al. If if your um, love of 1980s Doctor Who extends to 80s television and uh, the art of professional wrestling, then uh, you may be interested in a podcast that me and Al are 50% of, uh, which is The Conquistadors, um, uh, which we take a wrestling show each month uh, from the 80s and early 90s in most cases and analyse it and run through it and generally take the mick out of it if we can. Um, Conquistadors.com or search for Conquistadors on your podcast provider. Well, if uh, listeners are turned on by the classic Who segments of the, the Polis box, then why not give the Crinoid podcast a try? That's at K R Y 
N O I D podcast. Uh, I had to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I write it down. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I write it down several times a week for 10 years, and I still can't remember it. Uh, yes, um, we uh, discuss a classic Doctor Who uh, story every month um, at some length, so uh, people with short attention spans may wish to look elsewhere. Uh, but uh, we do so uh, without um, a cheesy gimmick of a courtroom. Oh. <laughs> well, well, my decision to award it not guilty. <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> As I sidle off into a corner and try and look for weaponry, um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Spotify, and, and WordPress, and all those lovely things. Uh, I didn't mean that. I, I love you all deeply. <laughs> Just like Nicola Bryant and the horse. It's that yeah, same sort that of special deeply. relationship. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the length or the girth to, to match that. <laughs> On that point. <laughs> the podcast has a length, to be fair. Yeah, but, yeah, it but, certainly but, does. But not the, not the girth. It's the Ron Jeremy of Doctor Who podcasts. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> You can have that one for your iTunes reviews. That's <laughs> going on the poster. <laughs> so there we go then. That has been Terror of the Vervoids put on trial. As we mentioned, the final decision comes down to you. Go to the poll on Twitter. Vote, vote guilty or not guilty. We'll reveal the results later on. This has been episode 34 of the Polis Box. I've been Lee. I'm off to Photoshop Brian Blessed and I've been Dave. <laughs> I'm off to run the Grand National with Nicola Bryant. I've been Cameron. <laughs> I've been Jordi Allen. I'm off to look up the word defence in a dictionary. <laughs> I've been Jim, and I'm constantly searching for Spuggy. <laughs> we'll see you next time for the Ultimate Four with Greg and Charlie from the Complete Imaginary Almost. And if nothing else comes out tonight, we'll always have Spuggy, each and every one of us. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. The day when Newcastle would have taken one. There they are, looking for number five. With Philippe Albert. Oh! Absolutely glorious! Oh, Newcastle, you can keep your London way. I've walked the streets of the army for a bottle of the River Tyne. I'm coming home. Newcastle, I wish I'd never been a weird. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother saying, Hey, how we I'm coming home.